Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disasters, COVID, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, well, today is actually overdue by about three months because we've had so many different things happen on both ends of the schedule, but I'm really happy to welcome back Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, you know, three months, that went by so quickly, but yes, we've we've had a tough scheduling problem the last 90 days, haven't we? We have. It's because mm-hmm. there's so many things going on in the world, and so you know, many we're going to touch on some of that today. We are. We are. But you've been well? I've been well. And and you? Uh, yes. Well, is it? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> as well as can be expected, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand that one. Yeah. So I have a deck of slides, and I think we're just going to go through and, and talk about the, you know, the crystal ball of the future here. How's that? Sounds good to me. Okay, let me jump in. I'm going to show my deck here, and we'll get started. So, yeah, just what we want to be talking about. But I think this is really the the issue that's at hand for all of us in our field, and that's really the sense of global instability. And, of course, I don't need to remind anybody who's in our business, anybody in the world, frankly, uh, of what's going on. There's a lot happening, and this instability is really creating such difficulty in so many organizations. And the question really is for all of our professional colleagues is, you know, is your program really ready to meet the moment? And that's really what I want to talk about today. And we'll focus a little bit on some definitions as we historically have done, but we're also going to talk a little bit about executives. I've never seen executives so interested mm-hmm. in this work ever. It's quite remarkable, actually. So I'm going to talk briefly just for a second about the vocabulary of the moment. <clears throat> some of these words will be familiar to you if you've heard Alex and I talk before. If not, this will be uh, a review. Uh, and then the question of that, has this happened before? And of course, the answer is going to be yes. I want to spend some time really talking about executives and their 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 use of the word resilience and the, the drumbeat about that that I see in my clients um, in the executive suite. And then lastly, I'm going to give you a homework assignment because of course I can. And that's what I always do because <laughs> I want you to think about what you're going to do with all this stuff that Alex and I talk about. So I want to talk about the vocabulary of the moment. Um, I have been talking a lot about this year. I've been given, I don't know, seven or eight speeches. I've written quite a few articles and many publications. And this is something I think that really is important for us to stop and reflect on because it really, and I know you and Alex and I have talked about this several times, this really is reflective of where we are in the universe right now between the the end of the pandemic and all of the other things happening. And oh my God, how many things are going on in the world? It's just mind boggling. So the first word I want to talk about is polycrisis, of course. And that's one that I've been talking a lot about. I didn't invent this word. I think it's a very cool word. <laughs> and it really speaks to the to the moment that we're in. And essentially, it was originally coined by a French philosopher, Edgar Moron. And that was in the 90s. But all of a sudden, uh, in t- 2023, it got a brand new life. When Adam Tooze, who's a well-known economic historian, attended Davos at the World Economic Forum, and he started talking about this concept of the polycrisis, and it just took off. And all of a sudden, that was a word that was the most searched word for days on Google. And people were wondering, like, what is this? But yet, we kind of have a sense of what it means just by simply the design of the word. And I think it's actually... The best word to describe the pressure cooker moment that the globe is in. 
because really what it does is it talks about this concept that all of these crises that are going on are all essentially interconnected in some way. And they're intertwined with each other and they're all kind of tangled up and they basically make each other worse. And I don't know about you, Alex, but I certainly feel that just personally uh, as I see these crises going on all over the world. And it does feel like everything is connected to each other, right? Yeah, well, you know, the globe is, you know, they said they, that we've never been closer than we are right now. So w- with social media and with, you know, the internet and things like that, right. so you know, right. we can reach out across the globe in seconds. So right. something happens somewhere, even if you don't feel the immediate impact, you're already feeling it in your heart or, you mm-hmm. know, your, your emotions mm-hmm. when you see mm-hmm. something occurring. And mm-hmm. you probably know somebody Right, has a, a relative or a, a work colleague or somebody who's mm-hmm. related to that event that's you know in that place of the world, whether it be right. you know um, the Southeast Asia where things are occurring in India or Russia or somewhere in Europe. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so true. And I think when you also look at the business world and you look at all the different locations that companies have and all the different impacts of the supply chain, and then you file in all of this human loss and suffering, it really is significant. And I think what happens when you look at this poly crisis is that we really look at this cluster of all of these global risks. And essentially what happens is they begin to compound each other. And you certainly saw that um, with the pandemic immediately and the impact around the world that that had. But then also when you think about things like the Ukraine war and how that displacement of so many over, was it 10 million Ukrainians left the country and they then went across the world. And so we had this increase of migrants on top of all the other migrants that are moving. And then the impact of the grain loss and the famine that's occurring in Africa right now. And that causes migration. And all of these things begin to create other crises, starting with one particular incident that then begins to cascade, intertwine, cluster, grow, group, etc. And we're certainly seeing that all over the world with all of the different issues that we're facing, which is really challenging. And I think when you stop and think about that, I mean, just look at just this one little slide just talks about just some of the things that we have seen and, and experienced. And and I think you and I were talking before we started is that I was saying to you that, you know, I feel that in my 40 years of practice, I have never worked with so many clients who are frazzled, beyond frazzled, under a lot of pressure. And I think also feeling fragile, maybe isolated. There is just a lot of strain that I see in the people that I'm working with and all the companies that I work with worldwide. And I, I'm, and I feel it myself. What yeah. do you, what do you, are you seeing that same kind of thing, Alex? Yes, I am. I, I feel it myself every time I turn the news on or mm-hmm. on the train or something, you can see people just, you know, you, it's almost like you can feel the stress. Right. You know, you know sometimes it's, palpable, you isn't into, it? it's yeah, actually palpable. You, you can walk into a room and you know that, Ooh, the vibe in here is not good. You know, you, it, it's like that when you're around all these different people, you know, they're starting to be a little bit suspicious of each other or, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not intermingling like they used to or that they were hoping to mm-hmm. when they started to go back to the office, and, you know, and, oh, I get to see all my colleagues again. Well, no, with all these different events going around the world, people are splintering off and right. becoming wary of each other. It's like, I I don't think people really know how to turn or where to turn. Right. I think also, too, because of the pandemic and because of the isolation that many people felt, I think also we have all of these pressures, as you just aptly described, that can create tensions between groups. But then also, I think we just don't have the social skills that we had, you know, in 19, you know, in in 2019, right? I mean, it's, it's a different, it's a different world. And I think you couple that within all of these incredible stresses around the world and all of these really extreme groups growing in strength and looking at the, uh, you know, the Argentine election that just happened and you look at what happened in the Netherlands and you look at the riots in Dublin and all of those things begin to cascade and build to each other. And it begins to make me certainly feel like, oh, my God, what is going on? And it's it's it weighs on me. 
Yeah. Wisdom. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's exactly how I feel on this end. And mm -hmm. it, it, when you were describing you know, events around the world, it, I, I had this vision of uh, a bucket of water and just putting one drop in there, that one little event, and it ripples out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a great. That's a great metaphor. And I think for those of us, so you put all of that in a hopper, and then you think about what all of us do for a living, right? So, you know, my job every day is I talk to, counsel, support, exercise, train, plan, et cetera, crisis management teams all over the world. And some days I just feel like I need to go lay down and put my head down on the pillow and just like, I, I need to, you know, I need to like plant flowers in the backyard or something. I need to do something that is so less stressful than actually dealing with all those issues. And I think my clients are really feeling all of that. And I sense a lot of just a lot of increased pressure, a lot of increased responsibility. Uh, whether that's real or not, I don't know. But boy, I do see it in in people's behavior and their performance, uh, lots of things. And, you know, I just really uh, always ask all of us in our profession, you know, stop, take a deep breath, unplug when you can, mm -hmm. because you don't have to be collected and unplugged into the universe every single second of every single day. And sometimes you just need whatever that is, a little news break, a little step away from, you know, being connected uh, to dealing either with work or whatever it might be in your life, because we need to take care of ourselves so that we're in one piece, you know, when the next kind of big shoe drops that we have to actually respond to. I think that's also uh, a part of reason why people don't unplug, mm -hmm. because there are so many things going on in the world if I unplug, I'm going to miss something. Right. And I don't mean, you know, the latest version of a, a video game or something. I mean, an event right. in the world right. that I may need to respond to or know about or take back to the office mm -hmm. you know, because there is so much going on. And mm -hmm. some people aren't unplugging for that reason. Right. Right. And I think, you know, and to that end, there, there are ways that you can do that. It may take a little bit more design, like having certain alerts on your, on your phone or device, really working if you have a global security operations center and making sure that they're, you know, they're they're pinging you appropriately as well, uh, so that you're not feeling the sole responsibility that you're the one that has to be tracking all of that stuff. But I totally hear you, especially for companies with many locations around the world. It's really hard to feel like you can unplug. But at the same time, if you don't, and this is, I think, uh, an important thing for us to keep in mind is that what I see. You know, you can kind of kind of see in people's eyes and in their face how the the burnout begins to start and they just begin to sort of hollow out inside. And I see that in a lot of my clients now. And it's kind of heartbreaking. I was on a call with some people this morning and I just looked at all of them. I just thought like, oh, my God. Yeah. Long drawn faces, you know, just like, oh, right. It's just <laughs> it's it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's just awful. So. I think this is important for us to talk about, but at the end, I also want to circle back to this issue of, of taking care of yourself, because if we're not standing, then, you know, there's really no point in any of this personally, right? We have to be standing at the end of the story. Yes. So the question that people always ask me, okay, so is, is this unusual or whatever? And has this ever happened before? And of course, as anybody's heard me talk in the last couple of years, I've been talking a lot about the impacts of pandemics. And this is really an example of that. This is the 14th century plague, um, and this is a this is a quote that real. I, you could cross out a few lines, honey, and you could make it right now. European society after the 14th century plague was highly strung, on edge, and quick to violence. So fierce and clamorous was life that you could endure the 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 um, the mingled odor of blood and roses. That's pretty graphic. That's from an historian, actually a, a Dutch historian, 1919. But I think what this, I want to give people some, I don't know if this is comfort or not, but it explains a little bit also about where we are, and it has to do with the pandemic. And this is actually a really important part of what we'll talk about today, um, because this is sadly very predictable. And I, I, I'm embarrassed, and I know I've talked with you about this before. I'm embarrassed I've done pandemic planning since 1997, but I never looked at the historical impacts of what happens, quote, when it's over. But when I was asked to do that in 2022 by a client of mine, I went through a large number of historical medical documents and books and read lots of histories. And 
my God, there are just reoccurring things that happen over and over and over and over and over after every pandemic. So this is either comforting or it's like, oh my God, I don't know which, but this is what this is what happens, unfortunately. And and there's quite a list of things. So the, and this will sound like today. I mean, uh, distrust of government and public health measures. So I don't know about Canada because I know you're so nice. But here in the United States, people don't trust the government at any level, often, it seems. So whether it's the local municipalities or all the way up to the national government. And certainly there's many people that don't trust public health. And we certainly saw that in this pandemic with vaccine uh, anti-vax growth, right? And vaccine pushback and not wearing masks. But this has happened and basically going back to what the farthest I went back was 432 BC for a plague uh, pandemic in uh, started in Athens. This is what happens. People are suspicious of the government. They resist any mandate. They don't like being told what to do. They don't like being told that they have to do things to slow the spread. They don't want to distance. They don't want to wear masks. That goes back to the 16th century when masks were first started to be used by doctors and then vaccine resistance actually started in 1770 with George Washington when they came up with a pretty innovative but very crude smallpox vaccine where they realized, oh my gosh, and this was just by happenstance that they figured this out, that if somebody had an injury or a scrape and they actually touched somebody who had smallpox and they got a little bit of that vesicle in their bloodstream, they actually were, quote, vaccinated. And actually it worked. I saw George Washington's troops did not die of smallpox in the um, in the re- revolution in the United States in the 1770s, which is really weird, but true. Huh. So um, are people suspicious of government in Canada? You guys are so nice. That'd be hard to believe, but maybe. Oh, no, it's the same. Is everything, it the same? Uh, everything that happens in the U.S. seeps its way up here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it, it, you know, Good things happen in the U.S., good things happen up here. Bad things happen in the U.S., bad things seep and find their way up here mm. the same thing occurs because we're so intertwined you know the, through social media through our companies you know our our stores our know, close borders our, right our, people yeah, are jumping back and forth right yep uh, that are know, in that area and, and we work you know in, in each other's country um we have we're yeah. biggest trading partners of each so you know what happens in one ends up uh fighting its way into the other all the time yep um, yeah, this is this is something that we'll have for a very long time. I pray that we don't have another pandemic in the near future because all of this would just make that a hundred times worse. Yeah. Agreed. Another one that's really big is blame. We like to blame people. Uh, and so we blame all kinds of groups. And you're seeing that a lot now also with immigration, where people are blaming immigrants for things. It's the same thing. So what you start having is you start having this reinforcement of this particular issue of blame. Uh, There's been often in many pandemics a a tie back to China, uh, which has been interesting. Even if the disease didn't come from there, they were often blamed. And it's always been an excuse for anti-Semitism, which now sort of feeding into this whole war in Israel and Hamas and other things just makes it even more, you know, just prescient, right? I mean, it's... Quite, quite amazing. But the blame is a big issue. And I thought about that a lot, actually, when I saw the uh, uh, the riots that occurred in Dublin. Um, I guess it was Thursday last week. And, and it was all based on pretty much uh, anti-immigrant riots. And it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it w- was that the situation where it was all started because of disinformation? Yep. And it was actually disinformation. And, and But then what was interesting is that the accounts that I read said that people were so excited about the the event, the, the riot going on, the fires and all of that stuff. They couldn't get people to disband because everybody wanted to just keep, it just fed each other. You know, they just fed and fed each other on, on their anger, which is really, oh my gosh, heartbreaking. Yeah, scary. It's really scary. Another one, this gets to the third one, which is fraying of society. Uh, widespread crime. We've had huge increases in crime in the United States, all kinds of opportunistic crimes in particular, Uh, political losses. I mean, look at what's going on right now with the far right making great strides in Europe, uh, South America, in Africa, the coups going on, uh, really fueled by Russia in particular. 
and which really moves towards this populism, populism and this autocratic state of government. And where people are saying, things are bad, things are bad, only I can save you. I mean, that's just like should scare you to death when you hear some leader talking like that. But that's very common. And you've heard some autocratic leaders, some United States autocratic leaders mm-hmm. saying those kinds of things. And then it just released, it results in a lot of incredible bad behavior, which we've had tons of. Uh, and the and the riots in Dublin are just a really good example of them. We'll talk about um, two more and then maybe or one more and we'll maybe then take a short break. You want to do that? Sure. Um, the fourth one, this cracks me up because this goes back, remember, 432 BC, conspiratorial theories and uh, apocalyptic thinking. So the conspiracy theories, oh my gosh, I, there's a zillion of them about the pandemic and there's a zillion about almost everything that you see right now globally. So those feed each other um, and those are hugely problematic, but there are people making up all kinds of really bizarre things, but they take off, which always, I mean, like the QAnon thing in the United States, it's like, wow, but they take off. And then that also really feeds to this apocalyptic thinking where you'll have some religious groups who might be saying, oh, you know, the end is nigh, you know, you need to repent or whatever. Um, And that's hugely been influencing behavior around the world as well. And then lastly, this is probably the only good thing I could say that happened out of the five has been the rise of the worker. And you certainly have seen that in the United States. I don't know about in Canada, but we've had a huge increase in union drives that have been successful in um and really the opportunity for workers to really stand up and get higher wages and be able to get better benefits and that i think from a, from all of us is a more positive thing that people are being better compensated for their labor and i think that's been a pot that's one of the positive things that generally comes out of a pandemic that uh, workers do actually began to organize and they're effective in that effort yeah, conspiracy theories, the very first one I ever heard uh, was back in 1978, beginning of 1978, Elvis was still alive and was seen at a Burger King. <laughs> or and, how about, when, you know, they thought that the la- the moon landing was actually shot in a movie studio and then a bunch of other uh, those. I used to hear those and I think like, what? What? Yep. Are you kidding? Yeah, but they, now they're very common. Oh my gosh, yeah. they're everywhere. You used to laugh at that one, but now there's just so many. Everything can be made into a conspiracy theory these days. Right. Who knew, right? Who yep. knew? And you you mentioned if uh, with the rise of the workers, um, I think uh, you were referring to the auto workers unions, right. especially. Sure. Uh, big three. And yes, the same thing happened here. Um, the thing is, we didn't have the big strikes that they had in the U.S. Hmm. Uh, because they, I think the Canadian workers or union or whoever was involved kind of knew that, you know, where we are, we can't shut down. So um, they tended to have the agreements in place a little sooner and had less impact. Right. The And what impact they did have actually came from what was happening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. rather than their own actions here in Canada. But mm-hmm. they did get all that fixed up here. That's great. I'm glad to see it. I'm, I I think that's been a big plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has, and I'm I'm seeing it now in restaurants as well. Uh, right. Push right. for uh, unionized workers or higher pay or mm-hmm. get rid of tipping so that you have to pay a living wage to a server or a bartender now. Right, uh, right. Which I think, you know, all of that I think is really smart and makes sense to me. Because why should people live on, on uh, modest amounts of income when, especially the people that own the businesses or run the, the corporations have, incredibly large salaries at least here in the united states i am assuming that's probably the same in canada yeah you know and and it doesn't help when you hear uh so-and-so ceo she gets you know 20 million bonus because she fired you know a thousand employees or something like that like, right right what <laughs> right. You, right. You know, you're putting a thousand families or homes uh through hell over the next few months because they've lost their jobs and you're getting 20 million dollars for that Right. So, yeah, people are starting to push back on that. As they should. Yeah. <laughs> As they should. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps, and we will be right back.
Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, you started to talk about executives uh, and what they're talking about now. Can we touch on that now? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that in all of my years of practice, I have never really seen executives focused on the concept of resiliency or continuity or crisis management with some very rare exceptions. And that might be after some big, gigantic incident like 9-11 or maybe Hurricane Katrina or something like that that had a big impact. But now I tell you that Every executive I talk to, the word resiliency just flows out of their mouths like I, I'm i just shocked, <laughs> to be oh, honest with you. I just don't have any recollection of this being the word of the day. And I think part of that, to be honest with you, is also driven by, by if you follow any of the blogs by McKinsey or Deloitte & Touche or Ernst & Young or people like that, they're pushing this word constantly. And now it's really, given all the things that we just talked about, it's really resonated with executives. And another reason it's so resonated is because of the questions and queries by board members. Mm-hmm. So it has really escalated to a whole new place. And it's just amazing to me. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for us. I don't know if this is a permanent change. I kind of hard, have a hard time believing it would be, but maybe it will. Because it certainly is something that I see every single day in the executives that I work with. Are you seeing the same sort of thing in the client population that you have? Uh, well, yes and no. <laughs> I, I have, I know you and I talked before we came on air. Um, there are some that, yes, are really looking into, you know, we need to get working closer together. We need to, you know, build uh, re- some resiliency into our plans, processes, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's others that still see it as a tick box. Yeah. So, so it's a wide, wide uh, cross section, you know, with that. But I know those that are thinking of a tick box, it's going to come back to bite them. And they're going to be, they're going to have to change the way they're thinking. Right. And certainly I, I, there are people that have wanted to hire us over the years that are just doing something like an exercise or want a plan written or something like that, or an evaluation just because they are trying to tick a box. And I'm, I am not interested in box ticking myself. I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to make people more resilient. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. And the way you do that is you have to really embrace this work and not just think it's about ticking a box. So I'm totally with you on that. Well, I think this is a great opportunity for all of us in our field to really stop and think about how we can really capitalize on this unique moment because executives are engaged like never before, which can be also good and bad news. I'm not saying it's all great news because some... Because sometimes, you know, they they have they have convoluted ideas. And so um, and that's why how you proceed can be a little tricky. 
Um, because sometimes they either sat next to on a plane next to somebody who gave them a lot of information or they read something in a publication and maybe they didn't quite get it quite right. So I think it's important, first of all, to really jump on this moment, but you need to really think about how you start out. And I act, I ask lots of questions. A lot of my clients will take a statement or a uh, request from an executive as just you know, that's, 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 that's the only thing they're going to to get. And I don't do that. I want to keep asking questions about, well, okay, well, what, what are you really concerned about? And why are we, why do you want to do this? And the idea is the more questions you could ask, then you can actually peel back and really have a good understanding about what they do understand, but also what they're really concerned about. Um, And maybe when you start digging, you'll find like, maybe they're really concerned about the impacts on reputation and brand. And maybe that's because they don't know anything about the communication strategy, or maybe they don't understand what happens below them mm-hmm. uh, when a crisis occurs. And, and I think part of that is, is that there's always a lot of assumptions that in a crisis, the executive is going to be the person that, that really takes charge. But in reality, in a large corporation, they're not taking charge of the tactical response they're leading the strategic uh, initiatives and and making those decisions. And I think if they don't know what their job is because no one's ever trained them, they've ever been in an exercise, then they are making a lot of assumptions and nobody ever course corrects for them. And so I think the first thing that you can do is that when you have an executive team that's interested, it's really important to really understand deeply what they're concerned about, understand what they think a crisis actually is, because they may have a totally different set of definitions that you might have out, out of a BIA, for example. Um, and so the other thing is it gives you the great opportunity to explain your crisis management program to, to them. And if it's like we set up in most of my clients that are large, is that the executives have a very, very strategic job at the top of the food chain. They're not running the tactics there should be a well-designed crisis management team below them that is tactical in nature that's comprised of the usual cast of characters, you know, anything from facilities and security and HR and IT and InfoSec and the key lines of business and finance and legal and comms and so on. And then below that, there are people that are actually doing the work that comes out of the tactics, right? And so I think it's that's important to really understand how because you're, you might be at that moment training them in real time about how your program works, what their role is. And when I talk about what their role is, I basically say that executives have four jobs, always. You know, the first one is establishing strategic policy and directions and really having that strategic view across both the view of the company, but also the strategic decision making that needs to happen. They might be setting policy, changing policy those kinds of things. So that's very important at the top. Then the second thing down is that they might be um, signing uh, the signing authority for those people below them if it exceeds their limits. So if you're all had a cyber attack and now you have to go out and buy a bunch of of servers, you're talking about a lot of money you didn't plan. And that's going to be signed by an executive from that level. The third thing that their job is, and I believe is frankly the most important job in many ways, is what I call a key relationship manager. <clears throat> they are the people that are going to be talking to your big customers, executives. They're going to be talking to government regulators, let's say, or key investors, or maybe you're having them talk to like a mayor or a governor because they are talking at that level. So a big person from your company talking to the other big person, whatever category they fall into. And so I would expect your tactical crisis management team to be serving up these names if you need to call these people. Um, and that would be super important. And the last thing uh, of their job is if it's bad enough, I would expect that uh, not every not every press interview or press conference, but certainly some of them, uh, this one of the spokespersons would be the CEO. Because if it's really bad, you need mom or dad to be there giving the message. And that's really important. So they have four key jobs and that's what they should be trained to. And that's what they should be exercised. But I'll tell you, many of my clients don't engage the executives because there's a lot of assumptions. Oh, they know what they're supposed to do. Well, no, they don't because they don't really know what's happening below them. And therefore, they think they might be do have to do all of that, too. Yeah. Or they're afraid of their right. executives because of the culture 
thou shall not go and right. interrupt or disturb or rock the boat right. with executives. Well, so, I'll tell you, I've seen that in actual real crises where the, uh, where my clients were like, you know, they just walked in and they took over. Well, did you ever train them to their job? Were they ever in an exercise? Well, no. Well, of course they took over because they don't know what their job is. Yep. And they, they don't assume, know what their job is and they don't have confidence that anyone else does because it's never been communicated to them. Correct. Correct. And so this is a great opportunity. It can be a little dangerous, right? When an executive is really primed and ready to go. But at the same time, it's a great opportunity. But you have to be really charged up and clear about what you need to communicate. And you need to be able to say it all like in little short vignettes, right? It's like the elevator speech. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the four things I just talked about. You should be able to spit those out in your sleep with giving good examples so that this is your this is your job. You have four jobs. Everything else is managed below you. Great. Okay. What are my four jobs? You better be able to spit them out right now. And yeah. so that's really important. So I think because they're engaged like never before, we have a great opportunity and we need to be prepared for the moment. And try and if you can't if, if you don't run into them in the elevator you need to find a time to try and get on their calendars to talk about this because they are interested and so i always say to people start by aligning your glossary and what do i mean by that you know in our industry even even talking to colleagues people still call all kinds of things different right huh? so what i always do just infuriates me after all these years what I always do with my clients, and I would do this with a CEO team, is I say, okay, get out a piece of paper. I want you to draw four boxes. Okay, let me talk about these four boxes. The first box is emergency response. Emergency response means, you know, the, the dealing with emergent life safety issues, how you can actually prevent somebody from being seriously injured or dying in the first few minutes or the first few hours. That's box number one. Box number two, business continuity. How you recover mission critical, time sensitive business processes. Great. Next one, disaster recovery or information technology recovery. How you recover all of your technology and key assets. And that's where you're going to find information security, which of course they're all over because of cyber issues. And then the last one, crisis communications, which is what you communicate to your key stakeholders. And then I say, draw an umbrella at the top. All four of those things shoot up into the top umbrella, which is crisis management. I know that communicators call their work crisis management. It's not. It's communications. And so I align the glossary so that when we start talking, we're all in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So if you don't do that, then you're going to be actually stuck using the kind of words that they're using, but you can educate them in a very easy way. And that's what we always do. It sort of puts us on the same page. Yeah, because uh, every leader I've ever talked to, half of them, uh, they mold, uh, meld, I should say, sorry, business continuity with DR. I had the same thing. Right. Exactly. They don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand. And so, so use that opportunity to educate them with something really simple, really short, uh, so that they understand. And that way that you're, when you're talking, now you're all talking the same language instead of what they think it is and you think it is, right? So, I mean, th this goes back to how we look at crisis management, which really is, and this is out of the, the ISO standard, which is it's a holistic management process that identifies potential impacts, threats to the organization, and a framework for building response or resilience and managing any incident. So, I mean, that's what we're looking for is crisis management. It is the holistic thing. It's the umbrella at the top of all of those other things. And that's frankly what they need to be thinking about and spending a lot of their time in. So this gives you a great opportunity both in executive education. And so, you know, how do you do that? You know, sharing, first of all, they love benchmarking. That's the word that they love more than anything else. They love benchmarking. They like hearing about other organizations. So what does that mean? You should be thinking about using Google Alerts. I love Google Alerts. So go to Mama Google. And what you do is you simply type in Google Alerts. And then magically, you can actually search for any item. So you might say, let's say you're in manufacturing um, and you say manufacturing, comma, ransomware, comma, Canada. Great. Every day, Mama Google will send you any article, any kind of thing that's in the news about those three topic areas. So think about that in relationship to getting information that you then you can share with your executives. 
Because you can always say, oh, gee, I saw this article and thought you might be interested. Hmm, great. What does that do? That tells you that you're knowledgeable, that you know how to get information and that you know what they're interested in. To me, that is the most passive form of what I call covert marketing you could ever get, but really works. Uh, benchmarking and learning about other organizations. So you try and find other um, colleagues that are in the similar type of field and share information. You may not say who they are when you're sharing the information with your executive, but you can say in this type of industry that has this kind of market share and this kind of revenue stream, and they are in these many countries, they have these kinds of issues and they are solving them this way or whatever. That can be super helpful as well. They love knowing what other people are doing because nobody wants to be the first and they don't want to be the last, but they want to be like in the 25 percentile at the top. So that can be very helpful. Uh, giving examples of other organizations, how they either manage the situation well or not so well can be helpful. And that's where, again, networking with your colleagues, when you go to conferences like DRJ or you belong to something like DRE in Canada uh, or BCI or other groups like that, when you can share information, again, you're bringing back a story, you're bringing back an example that's really helpful uh, about how things were managed or handled. You don't have to give names but you can just give them some sense of this, the kind of industry and the size uh, is very helpful. Um, and many times people might say to me then, okay, if I'm well stocked with a lot of this information, they might say, you know, but we're different. Or, you know, like my my clients in, in, uh, in education will say, but Regina, we're really smart. We're just going to figure it out. Yeah, right. How's that working for you? And that's right? what every I mean, other organization says. <laughs> We're so smart. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So um, part of it is that you need to be prepared to understand that there'll be pushback and you need to have the right responses. I know you're really smart, but I, after many years of practice, I can tell you that you do much better if you have a plan and a process and people have practiced and they know what their job is. And that's what we need to be selling all the time, um, because you'll hear that every opportunity you get. And this really gets down to training and for executives, it might be a tiny little, you have to basically take your, you know, boil the ocean, put it into 45 minutes or an hour to train them. But remember, they only have four jobs. So that's what you're training them to. And then you're training them as to what happens below them. And then exercises. I always make sure if I do a crisis management team exercise for the tactical team, that we have a couple of executive briefings that are 15 minutes each that are in the, the format of the exercise. The executives know what the exercise in is in advance because I give them a preparatory one-page statement that says what the exercise is so that when they join, they are enroll and they can play. And they love it, which is sort of shocking to me because then they learn what their job is. Well, there, there's actually something I want to mention about that. Uh, maybe you've experienced it. Um, I've been at a couple of places, <laughs> uh, one even now, where they've brought in external <laughs> help to, to run exercises, which is fine with the leadership so leadership goes through it but they don't leverage or haven't leveraged the actual plans in the organization that's they terrible use, they should they be fired their own they've used their own ideas and their own uh processes or whatever so there's never a connection between what leadership is being educated on versus what the organization is developing that's ridiculous because what you see what an exercise is to me in the in the 3700 or something I've done in my life. What I will tell you is an exercise is the most important thing you do in your in your work. And you are training people about how they respond in an event. That's what an exercise does. And if you don't train them to what you actually do, you have actually thrown away that opportunity and you have trained them incorrectly because they're going to remember the exercise. Yeah. And that's how they're going to think it runs. So they should slap them. I mean, yeah. that's terrible. When we do an executive exercise, they I, they only see me kind of at the beginning as I frame the story. I designed the whole thing, of course, but I, I talk about the rules of the game, how, how we're going to play together, et cetera. But what I do is that when anybody is delivering the information, it's not me. It's the person that would really deliver the information in the yeah. real incident. So they know exactly who's going to be talking to them how it's going to be managed. And they're going to be talking about exactly what they're doing below them. And they come forward with also a list of asks. I need you to do the following things. I need to call these four major companies who are really upset with us. I need you to be able to approve these talking points. I need you to be able to X, Y, Z. 
you are you are training them related to your plan and that's what every exercise you do should yeah. be about yeah I, I found out when they were running a cyber exercise i found out after the fact that they had a company come in with executives do a cyber event i said well that's great you know um did did you involve what i named you know crisis management and all these other teams i said you know with the plans that we have in place did you reference them at least you know so they knew and they went no oh. that's not what happened and i went what that's terrible so it's terrible said, yeah there's i said there's a big disconnect here you've just created right <laughs> that should never happen yeah oh. So, oh. i wanted to point that out just to see what you had to say about that so. well you're not surprised are you <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I think what, what I want to end with is really talking about this idea of an operational crisis. I mean, we are certainly in a time right now that there's a lot going on. And so because there is so much going on, uh, your executives need to understand the structure that's going to respond. They need to understand what's going to be going on. They need to have authorities granted. Uh, and ideally, again, going back to what you just said, you are always training them and getting ready and using the practices that you have. And so that's why, again, educating them at the beginning is important. Your processes are probably good and work. They need to understand what they are, and then they can adjust accordingly. And so this organization really needs an integrated team, and that's what we're talking about. If it's a large company, you're having a, a strategic team at the top, a tactical team below, and the structure's got to be able to make sense. It's got It's got credibility it's got judgments built in it's got it's got authorities i want to see authorities about what people can do um and that's super important and i want to say because the world is melting down before our eyes you had better have a good bench many of my clients do not build a good bench i'm talking about one or two backups always because, I mean, I have some of my clients right now that are managing events in many, many different parts of the world, and they are frying themselves to death. And they're, that's on top of a three-and-a-half-year pandemic, almost four-year pandemic. So I'm concerned about people's mental health. I'm concerned about burnout. I'm concerned about people trying to do everything. And when I look at somebody's face and I can see that vacantness in their eyes and their cheeks are kind of hollow, I'm thinking like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm also, you know, I don't know how anyone could expect one or two people, uh, you know, because that's usually the size of many resilience or business continuity or disaster teams to be right. able to focus on so many multiple situations around the globe. You know, we, we've potential, we could have a flight impact soon if that volcano goes off. In right, with Iceland, yeah. You know, we could have an impact to Europe again. You know, we've got riots in Ireland. There's uh, wars going on. Um, you know, other political events happening. Right. One person or two people just can't focus properly on all of those. They're skimming right. the surface, and that's it. Well, and that's where you also are really pulling in and utilizing if you have such things as a global security operations center. Ideally, hopefully, they've got a good assessment tool or uh, um, and pulling out information so that you can actually have real-time data. You know, all of that kind of stuff needs to be integrated if you have those other components, because we all, to your point, Alex, we can't keep doing this and still be a whole person, right? Yeah. I can't emphasize that enough. And that's, I think, the... Um, we've got two minutes left. <laughs> I know. Okay. So we're not going to talk about this. I'm gonna, well, I talk, We're going we're gonna to speed through this. We'll talk about it next time. Okay. But what I do want to talk about, just in closing is the issue of chronic and persistent stress. See that little guy on the far right? That's what I'm hoping our professional colleagues don't look like. And I'm concerning that they're actually getting to that burned out stage. Uh, we'll talk about some of those other surveys next time we get together. But I do want to ask all of you to really do some deep thinking about your own physical and mental health, uh, your colleagues that you work with, and be very aware of chronic and persistent crises and the impacts they have on you. So the exhaustion mentally and physically, the health-related issues that happen, how it desensitizes you to stress. And you don't even know that you're being bombarded anymore. We talked a little bit about that before we even started, that people are just constantly sucking up all this awful news, and we are just in overdrive. And I think that's an issue. That means we're not able to be very empathetic or sympathetic, yeah. and we're irritable and cranky. You know, people might drink more. They might use drugs. They might disconnect from people. Uh, there might be a lot of employee turnover uh, and you have a crappy quality of life. So 
my my I mean I beg my clients please please take care of yourself if you need additional people you can't all be on call every night you yeah. can't all be responding to everything because then then you're going to look like the guy on the right and yeah. that happens and I'm seeing this in my clients and it's heartbreaking and and then they just feel like it's only them that can do it and it's just oh my gosh it's going to have to do need you find they can't rely on you now yeah you are desensitized to things stressed right. out, burned out you know right. not responsive you know because you not because you want to be that way because you have just got into that mental and physical state you haven't taken right. care of yourself right and now right. you actually can't help other people right right and this is something that is happening now in our profession and it will only continue <clears throat> because i don't know if you've noticed it's bad out there yes right? yes it is so we'll talk more about these other things because um, I know we're out of time. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we As... come, we've come to the end of the show. And once again, Regina, um, we... We haven't have finished my talk. talk, right? <laughs> exactly. We had more to talk about than time we have. So yeah, imagine that. <clears throat> we'll just continue that into December. Indeed. So thanks uh, for joining us, uh, Regina. Glad to chat with you again. And I know we'll be touching base soon. So Thank thanks for joining us and everyone watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.